0: Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. I'm Fiona Sutherland, dietitian from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I interview dietitians from all over the world who are experts in health at every size, the non-diet approach and mindfulness-based practice. These are a collection of interviews by a dietitian for dietitians and nutritionists, so that we can build a strong community of wonderful professionals who share an inclusive vision of well-being for everybody in everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi everyone and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me today. So this is the second of two episodes which I recorded with my final year dietetic student Darcy Youngblood. So in our previous episode uh, Darcy and I talked about her resource that she developed during her week with me which was really derived from the trans-theoretical model of behaviour change uh, which most of you will be familiar with and what she did was she really illustrated the changes in kind of beliefs, attitudes and behaviours around coming to understand health at every size as a student dietitian. I thought it was very clever. So if you have not um, listened to that, then maybe that might be a first step to take. In this episode, the tables are turned because Darcy actually spends some time interviewing me and asks me probably some of the most frequently asked questions that I am asked, most commonly, um, either from student dietitians, from colleagues, from my clients, from uh, folks in the general public, people who email me or send messages. And so um, we're hoping that, you know, maybe some of these are questions that you have about health at every size and non-diet, what it is, what it isn't, um, and and answering the age-old question. Is it actually a cult? And do you need a special code or maybe even a cape to be a member of this particular community? Short answer, no, absolutely not. So we had a lot of fun in this episode. Um, as you can probably hear, there has been quite a few coffees and um, a lot of chatting during the week, which culminated in these conversations. So I wanted to um, extend a huge thanks to Darcy for her generosity um, and her willingness to you know, kind of, take a leap and become part of my podcast so thank you so much Darcy for being an awesome student dietitian I am so excited for your future and to everybody listening I really hope you enjoy this kind of different episode thanks for being here Okay, so here we are back again. I'm sitting here with my soon-to-be-graduated dietetic student, Darcy. And uh, for those of you who have listened to our other episode, we talked a little bit about the stages of change and and health at every size and learning journeys and all kinds <laughs> of fun and frivolity. So we're back here again, the two of us having a little bit of a chat. And um, apparently Darcy has um, some questions that she would like to ask me. So we're going to turn the tables for, for a little bit and I just want to let you all know that I have not heard these questions yet. So these will probably be as much of a surprise to me as they are to you, hopefully not to Darcy.
1: <laughs> okay, and shoot, only slightly surprising to me. Um, so first question, um, why are you a non-diet dietitian and have you always been non-diet aligned? as a dietitian great question all right so
0: so um for those of you who are not as aware of my background and how i came to this a great podcast where you can hear about me talking to um talking about that is on christy harrison's food psych podcast can't remember the episode number, maybe seventy seventy five, somewhere in that vicinity. <laughs> I know, I know. It's just my favourite podcast. I love it. Shout outs to Christy, um, where you'll hear a lot more of my background. So i'll I'll give you the will give you the short version. Okay. So, um, the quick answer is no. Um, I, I came from a family where um, where dieting and weight was somewhat in the picture super heavily but yes somewhat there was there was um talk about bodies in namely other people's bodies and so it was made pretty clear to me from a young age about what uh, what bodies should and should not look like and and a lot of that was purely based on size um my parents had a very diverse range of friends including from different cultural backgrounds and um you know different abilities and um, ranging different genders and sexual orientations and things like that so it was really interesting, you know. There was there was a lot of social justice in my family as well, which it, which is I find this fascinating now, right? Looking back, but there was still very weight centric kind of that, that body size mattered in my family, you know. Um, and as we know, in a lot of these socially conscious um, fields of thinking, there can still be a lot of um, weight bias and, and a lot of fat phobia as well. So that was very present for me for sure. And I think, you know, um, to kind of skip forward a bit, I had a very kind of traditional, uh, you know, education and, and um, a dietetic education where none of this was spoken about. And that was, you know, um, 20 years ago now I'm aging myself, but um, you know, it's all good. Um, so, you know, nothing, nothing for me came up during dietetic. Oh, beg your pardon. Sorry. a big. it it did come up for me during dietetics where there was a couple of specific moments where the way that it wasn't so much the way the way bodies were spoken about but the way that we were taught about eating behavior I was just thinking I can't believe that if we told somebody to do this ostensibly that they would actually be able to do it and and to sustain it. And that particularly for me was around, you know, the the diabetes unit. And I think that arose because a friend of mine's father had just been diagnosed with type two diabetes and he was having some difficulty with the behavior change elements of, you know, um, dietary modification around, you know, back then. Um, type 2 diabetes Um, and it really gave me a a, a small insight into the human experience and that you know that apparently the the dietitian's job was to tell people what to do and apparently people did it and then that wasn't actually my experience with my friend's dad Um, so I it was at that point in time that I was like oh I think there's something wrong here We're not in Kansas anymore. Um, and from then on, I think I really started to critique and in a very, in a very loose. I, I use that in a very loose fashion um, and then kind of skipping, skipping forward. I, I spent years, you know, kind of doing clinical practice, etc. cetera. Um, it's still very steeped in kind of um, weight centric paradigm and, and clinical dietetics, really. And then it was more when I came home and started doing private practice and I spent a lot of time speaking with people, you know, up to 45 minutes at a time. And when people told me their stories, that was when I really started to realize that there was a lot of pain and suffering that people were enduring at the hands of dieting. And that's when it really struck me. I was like, there's something wrong here. And and I'm part of it you know i i think i i think I am part of the problem and to be honest with you that was deeply painful it was really really painful because back then I didn't have um someone to turn to i didn't have a community there were communities out there for sure it's just that I wasn't hooked into them and so I felt very isolated and and I felt very sad and and a bit ashamed too I I mean now I can name it as shame back then I don't think I realized what it was Um, but I I withdrew a lot from practice like and I lost a lot of confidence as a dietitian because and looking back now, I can only have compassion for that um, for that time in my professional career um, because I was kind of jolted into um, understanding the real human experience so I'm forever grateful for the folks who share their experiences with me because it wasn't it wasn't a slow process for me actually it was I was pushed almost almost jolted into this understanding this approach out of necessity to understand people's pain and suffering at the hands of dieting and i could i just couldn't keep doing it anymore and so i mean um, a lot of you will, will know that, you know, coming across the work of Dr. Rick Cosman in my early years, so formative to my learning and his generosity in really guiding me and, and, and being very understanding and very patient with my never-ending questions. Um, so, you know, like you, I have, a, I, have a, I have a natural curious and questioning and critiquing kind of nature, which I think has really has really helped me. Um, so that was a long answer to your to the <laughs> second part of your question. Um, but essentially, I think I answered the first part of it too, which is that I'm a non diet dietitian because I'm passionate about the ease of people's suffering, to yeah. be honest. I, I you know, I, through yoga, through my yoga and mindfulness kind of study and practice and teaching, I've really come to understand that um, that pain is part of the human experience. You know, we all experience painful things and um emotions and thoughts and things in life um but the 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 suffering that is at the hands of diet culture just it makes me very sad and actually quite angry too Mm -hmm. so i think i I channel that kind of energy into um well in lots of different ways as you Mm -hmm. know um but one of them is you know teaching and education and really um Spreading the word, as they say, about um, about the about this compassion-based practice.
1: So that's why. Yep, we do a fantastic job. You're a great advocate for health and every size and non-diet approach. Oh, thank Be very proud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, next question. Um, I know that health and every size and the non-diet approach is relatively new to the curriculum of dietetics, and I think it's such an important part of our learning and study. In your words, why do you think that it's important to be included in all dietetics courses? And I guess you've kind of touched on this in your last answer, but I guess if you have anything else to say about it,
0: yeah, definitely. Well, I think it's a it's a piece of um, of, of of education and learning for all health professionals. That's pretty important, and that is this is this is a. a um, these are a set of principles and a paradigm which can help us more deeply understand the human experience um, on so many different levels. So it enables us to really understand our own experiences around food, eating and bodies and then to additionally understand the experiences of others and try not to entangle the two because, as we both are aware from our personal experiences, you know, when you come into a course like dietetics, we often come with fairly fixed ideas about. Bodies and food and nutrition and nutrition science and etc. cetera, et cetera. And often, I'm, I'm noticing, and especially these days with students, is students often come in with a pretty fixed idea about what they want to do as a dietitian, as well. Um, which you know, it, it, it is what it is. I don't see that as a, a good or a bad thing. It's just I've noticed it increasing, which I find fascinating on so many levels. Um, and yeah, so I think the first thing is that the first reason is because it gives us an insight into our own experience and to the experiences of others. The second and arguably most important reason is it's evidence-based. Mm, definitely. We have the research. It's not just some nice idea that's being thrown around as in, you know, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a great way that we can be nice to people. Mm, well, it's that. But it's additionally, it's evidence-based um, and grounded in research and science And it also is humane. It's the most humane way that we can be with people's very complex experiences around their bodies and around their experiences and um, relationships with food and eating, which can be really like the stories people tell you are just, they're not only heartbreaking, but in some ways they're inspiring. People's Mm. perseverance is incredible and their dedication. To um, to want the best for themselves is really incredible. However, the dedication and the perseverance to want the best for ourselves in diet culture means we're often butting up against the idea that our bodies should be a certain way, and we should be eating certain foods, and we should be cutting out this and eating more of that, and, da, 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 and it just becomes this big giant mess. Mm. So, I, I personally would be pitching for. Um, Uh, Hayes, um, Hayes inclusive and all bodies inclusive, uh, curriculum across the year levels, across all of dietetics. And uh, you know what we're getting there. Like it it, it is, I wouldn't say embedded, but it is, um, it is included in every single dietetics course in Melbourne. I think it's in everyone in Brisbane or around the kind of queensland southern queensland area um, We've got a little way, we've got a little way to go with new south wales um, and a little way to go with south australia and we're almost there with western australia but we're actually on the way you know australia is really leading the way in terms of dietetic education and getting this stuff in and that is to be honest it's really thanks to students because students are demanding more they're saying this is interesting this makes sense we need to know this stuff. So, yeah, I want to be clear that it's not actually, I don't want to pretend by any way, shape or form that it's anything that for me personally or even my era, my era, yes, we have we have really tried to set, you know, things in motion, but it's really thanks to students that have said, we want more, you know, mm-hmm. we want more, we want more, that <laughs> um, the, the, the um, course coordinators have said, oh, Okay, well, this is obviously important. It's not just a fun, a fun subject. It's actually deeply interesting and very relevant.
1: Yeah. So, there you go. <laughs> you know, great answer. Um, I've spoken to lots of dietitians who um, haven't graduated recently, and they all are very jealous of the fact that we all get to do health at every size and on diet approach because it's. They said it is challenging to do when you're out of uni and you're by yourself and you're, you know, trying to find all of this stuff out on your own. It's a lot harder than if you were doing it. As part of a course, and it was ingrained in kind of the basis of our learning, I guess. So, yeah, incredibly important. Okay, Um, what challenges do you face with students or fellow dietitians who are very weight centric and very opposed to the idea of Hayes' non-diet approach? Now, I'm sure you've come across some students like this in your teaching at university, because I have witnessed a little bit of it. Um, But how? What do you do when challenges like that arise?
0: Well, I think first of all I, I see them as inevitable like the, the challenges are going to be inevitable um I mean certainly I think it would be fair to say that we still have a dominant weight centric paradigm in our not only in our wider culture but then in our healthcare culture and in our healthcare education system you know it's still very weight centric that's still the dominant kind of way of teaching um as much as things, I feel like things are really shifting, I think some of the challenges come about because of the kind of fixed ideas that some students have about bodies. And I can't help but think that a lot of that is rooted in fear, to be honest. It's like, you know, when we think we know or when we've kind of made our mind up, in a way, it calms us down mm. because when we feel sure about something or we've kind of pitched our tent, so to speak, it really acts as a, as a bit of a balm. you know, it soothes us when mm. we feel like we know what we're kind of up for, or we know what we're doing. We know what we're talking about. We, and we feel like we really understand something and I get it. But I also think that a, it's a bit of a dangerous way of being because when we, we can't kind of pitch our tent in such a young science for a start and also, you know, the human experience is so, so varied and complex that, um, you know, um, unfortunately, what happens a lot with the weight centric model is that it, it stops us from listening to people's experiences and, and their pain. It kind of stops us from asking the right, not the right, but it stops us from asking really good questions and questions which can help to relieve people of that pain um but again i think that comes from experience and i th- you know when it comes to other professionals more than students I- i'm exceedingly patient with students because um uh, it's just it's just part of the learning journey everyone's on the learning journey
1: <laughs> i'm never gonna live that down <laughs> you are
0: never ever gonna live that down um, I think where my patience has a bit of a limit, I'll be really honest with you and everyone listening, my patience has a limit when highly intelligent, very experienced professionals don't take the time and effort to understand the paradigm and to understand the principles and yet speak as if they know what it's about and what it's not about um, and make wild sweeping statements on or actually get it completely wrong, like saying, you know, calling it um, healthy at any size or something like that. You know, when when I hear somebody say that, I'm like, oh, I just really, it it hurts my heart Mm. because I think to myself, you haven't even bothered to understand what the wording is. And I think that to me, I know it sounds like, maybe a silly comparison but it's like not bothering to understand how to properly um, pronounce someone's name or how to um, properly address somebody from an Indigenous background you know would they prefer to be called Indigenous or would they prefer to be called a Wurundjeri woman or you know not taking the time to understand something now that is different to if you don't understand it and you 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 say it. You say you actually say. Look, um, I, I I'll put up my hand and admit I I don't really understand much about it. You know da 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 da. I have got so much respect for people when they actually say, look, I I actually don't understand it. I haven't I haven't taken the time and energy, and I really respect that because at least you're being honest as opposed to when um, when people act, act as if they know it and then kind of bag it or slam it. And I think to myself, like, the least you could have done is is taken the time to read about it. Like, it's not that technical. There's a couple of websites, (laughs) you know, reach out, you know. So that really, I feel that's where my patience has a limit. I think to myself, just it's not that hard (laughs) to at least take the time and then make up your mind. If you then want to bag it and slam it, Fine. I'll put Fiona Willer up on the stand, yeah. <laughs> and you and she can have a nice little
1: chat. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's my answer to that one. Yeah, I, and I completely understand that. And I can, I have seen you with students who have had very black and white views on it, and very. You know quite hard questions and it is hard and I've seen you in the front of a class and then get people shooting horrible questions at you from the class and you do deal with that very well and you have a lot of patience with students so um I can completely understand that and it is different when it is a you know someone with a wealth of knowledge and they just don't bother to do their research mm-hmm. yeah that's completely different so yeah. yeah it makes sense um this question I have because I a lot of people in my course have said it to me. I had one person describe health at every size as a cult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It made me laugh. I giggled too. Oh, I giggled funny. a lot. Um, so this question is, is the non-diet approach black and white? Do you never talk about weight or diets with your clients?
0: Oh, that's an awesome question. So the other word that gets bandied around a lot is extreme. It's, mm. it's so extreme. And I think to myself... Well, on one hand, on one hand, I get the point because we are a lot of us are fairly strong of mind. I guess we kind of, we kind of express ourselves in a certain way. You know, we tend to swear a fair bit. And, and I think that, um, in some ways that comes from the, the kind of the the swinging back from diet culture and that in any Um, quote-unquote kind of successful movement um, when you look at civil rights or you look at, um, uh, you know, um, feminism or um, Even even, you know, in Australia we've had this all these um, debates about gay marriage, which is such a Non-subject. I mean, who 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 are we? Straighties to tell people how to love each other in What? What? Anyway, (laughs) I digress um so uh, I, th- I think that there is a little bit of strength behind the message, mm-hmm. which can be, I guess, misinterpreted or, or maybe even interpreted as being extreme. Like, that, that's fine. And I think that the, the quote-unquote, the cult thing comes from that we're pretty tight-knit bunch.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're a pretty tight-knit bunch and we really, really have each other's back. We all support our own through... Thick and thin, literally, literally, <laughs> literally, figuratively and metaphorically through yes. everything. Um, so I, I, I get it. Um, on the other hand, I think to myself, what a shame that, again, maybe you haven't thought more about like what it is actually about and it's based in humanistic practice. It's ba- this is the essence of client-centered care. You know, so, so if client centered care means that I have to advocate and I have to raise my voice, um, sometimes literally raise my voice, um, or I have to be a little bit more persistent or I have to be a bit more strong of mind and strong of action, then if that's what, if that is what it takes, then sometimes that is what it takes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our wider culture, they're not going to just be, oh, like, you know, oh, oh, this sounds really good. Yes. You know, um, for example, you know, in, in medical circles, you know, um, the non-diet approach is seen as maybe very fringe. And yet there's a lot of folks in medicine now that are, that are really, really interested because they're now seeing that, You know, dieting doesn't work. Not only doesn't work, it's it's really harmful. And stigma hurts people. Stigma kills people because diseases are missed because folks are too busy applauding weight loss. You know that kind of stuff. And you can hear it in my voice. That is the kind of stuff that makes me angry. Yeah, I have had clients who have not gone for a pap smear for eight years mm. because they have felt so ashamed going to the doctor. They go for a rash. They leave with a diet. They go with um, a, a throat infection. They leave feeling body shamed. And it's like, well, wouldn't you avoid healthcare? So that kind of stuff does make me upset. It makes me very upset, um, particularly as a, as a smaller-bodied, very privileged person. Um my energy is channeled in that in that direction of advocacy because I think it's deeply deeply unfair you know how people experience um, our health system worldwide it's not just Australia it's worldwide um, and and then the expectations that folks have of how they're going to be treated is just so you know ah we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, so I think, on one hand, I get it. And I think there is an element of strength that comes with this particular paradigm. On the other hand, you know, no, we're just kind of concentrating on humans. Mm-hmm. So we're just going about our business really being, being, you yeah. yeah.
1: join us if you like. Yeah, <laughs> we're pretty cool. Definitely. Um, I guess I just want to kind of revisit just the end of the question, like, I think the assumption is you never talk about weight or diets with your Ooh, clients. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, could you just talk a little on that and how you feel about that statement, I guess? Yeah, definitely. Look, the
0: truth is that I talk about weight and diets with most of my clients a lot, actually, yeah. because um, uh, um, I want to just dispel the myth that in my practice that people come to see me ready to go. That they understand non-diet approach they're ready to give up dieting they're ready to you know leave their weight concerns and body concerns behind you know ready to embrace the body they have and you know because that is not the truth the truth is and you have witnessed that this this week you know coming into private practice with me is that um my clients voice a lot of um, body concern and they voice a lot of desires to be changing their bodies and voice a lot of um desires to be actively dieting actually to to change said bodies um so i have a lot of conversations about that but it's the way in which we have those conversations and for me i draw a line in the sand where i will have all those conversations um, because the way that folks experience their bodies And, and, and the entanglement with food and eating is very much got to do with the work that we do as non-diet approach dietitians, as haze aligned professionals, because unless we are able to have that conversation confidently or, or wherever you are, (laughs) sometimes not confidently. And, you know, I still trip over stuff all the time, but unless we're willing to have that conversation, then we, I think it's really hard to validate people's experience sort of often I mean I'm I'm very much paraphrasing here but very often the the conversation goes something like um I want to lose weight and then the and then the conversation from kind of my end will be well no wonder you want to lose weight a you've been trying to lose weight for insert however many years 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years of course you know that that's when you feel uncomfortable in your body or when you feel criticized or you feel um, low in confidence or you feel your, your self-esteem is being knocked around or you have a life event or just seasons change and you're trying a pair of pants that are too small, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, that has been your go-to strategy. It's been your go-to um, thinking pattern, behavior, you know, reactions. Um, and all kinds of emotions bubble up and memories and all these kind of things and urges, etc. So first of all, just saying, well, of course, you know, first of all, that's been your experience. And second of all, of course, because you live in this world that views bodies in certain ways. So that's not to say that my clients come in all shapes and sizes. So some of my clients are smaller bodied, kind of what we would see as average, medium, whatever, however, whatever you would call that Group and then larger bodied and then very larger bodied and very 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 larger bodied. You know, kind of work right across, um, across the um, gender spectrum, across um, ages as well. So um, I think I think when we are willing to have discussions which validate people's very real and lived experiences, there is a difference between validating and colluding. So colluding would be. That I, I am taking the behavioral steps to support the person in enacting those urges to lose weight. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to enact those urges, whether that's calorie counting or um, skipping meals or cutting out certain food groups or whatever, whatever. Um, but that that enactment has not been overtly supported by me. And that's the line I draw in the sand yes. so that I will have that conversation and I'll help you explore the reasons why. It just seems so obvious to be heading down this path. Um and you know, using um, maybe some skills from motivational interviewing, which I absolutely love, and I also love acceptance and commitment therapy as well. So using kind of some thera- therapeutic kind of techniques from ACT and from motivational interviewing, we're kind of able to have this discussion, which validates people's experience, whilst at the same time is able to remind them about what's important and why they've come in the yeah. first place because people usually don't come to me for weight loss. They come to make peace with food yeah. and their body. It's just that they also want to lose weight at the same time or, or have seen weight loss as the route to peace and find it hard to even contemplate another way of thinking and being. So, so that conversation is essential, absolutely essential. And and it is um, a kind of a, to be honest, I think it's an art.
1: Yeah, it's an art that I am yet to master. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, I think um, sometimes people think that because you're on diet approach or health at every size, you know, if, if weight or diet comes up, you kind of just put your fingers in your ear and go, no, 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 we're not talking yeah. about weight, we're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about diets, that's not what we're talking about here. And that's just not the case. And I think that, yeah, it's really great to hear you say that because it'll, I think, dispel a lot of myths that people may have when they think of non-diet approach, especially in dietetics. Um, And that's a great segue into my last question. Um, So for new graduates such as myself, it can be very daunting getting out into the big bad world of dietetics. Um, I guess, do you have advice for how to incorporate health and every size into areas which it's not so obvious? So, for example, clinical dietetics and sports dietetics. um, I think sometimes students feel that health and every size and non-diet approach are only for eating disorders dietitians Mm -hmm. or community dietitians. Um so I guess yeah, just speaking a little bit about that. Yeah, that's actually a really great question because
0: one of the um one of the misnomers about non diet approach and health at every size is that, is that as you mentioned it's for quote unquote certain bodies, you know, for certain people in certain situations. And the truth is is that it it's really applicable across all humans and all experiences, you know, including quite complex clinical situations and, um, you know, um hardly highly tuned athletes, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm a sports dietitian as well. And I, and I, I think that's where I, I, I use all my science geeky stuff is, you know, thinking about performance nutrition and the science of the body as it performs. Um, but I think, you know, the thing in common or the common aspect about dietetic practice across all different areas is that we're working with humans, right? So whether somebody has a very complex health condition which alters the way that their body functions, so just say for example somebody's been diagnosed with Crohn's disease, now they are going to have a very different relationship to their body. Um, you know they'll be experiencing perhaps significant amount, amounts of pain you know if they have had to have for example surgery for their crohns if somebody ends up with um, a colostomy bag you know that that changes out the relationship that we have with food and with eating and with our body and when we're the great thing about health at every size is that we are able to work with humans um from a place of self-compassion and and compassion for others and therefore kind of pass on that gift to them so that they're able to feed themselves and treat themselves from a place of compassion as well. Um, But that it acknowledges the complexity of the human experience. And when that changes... As it inevitably does. So again, I mean, using a different example, just say somebody ha- gets diagnosed with MS or epilepsy, or you know, they have a or, or diabetes. You know, they have a new diagnosis, and sometimes these diagnoses not, not not all of them, and certainly not not necessarily the ones that I have mentioned. Um, they don't all require dietary modification, but if there is a diagnosis where, for example, celiac disease, that's a, that's a much better kind of example, where modifications are kind of deemed necessary to prevent harm to the body, you know, um, that we're able to come at that from a place of understanding. Because, I mean, I've worked with folks who've been diagnosed with celiac disease, there's a lot of grief. There is a lot of grief and um emotional pain that goes along with having to eliminate gluten and perhaps some of your favorite foods and i mean i think it's all nice and well to say oh you can replace it with this with this and da 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 da, da. and that's true but it also ignores the fact that um that you know that that food is really important to a lot of people and sometimes really culturally important to not only socially and personally, but also culturally. And and the great thing about these approaches is that regardless of what what is going on for the person in front of you, you are able to see the person. This health at every size enables you to see the person and their changing circumstances. And when we're able to take a very humanistic approach to dietetic practice, we, are, I believe it opens up our opportunities to provide support, guidance, and perhaps in some circumstances advice, which is coming from a, a thoughtful place rather than a set of preconceived guidelines or a set of preconceived, like a set of assumptions that we might be making about a certain diagnosis or about somebody in a particular body, um, that we take that we kind of zoom out, zoom out and see the person not only in that one point in time, but we also, you know, we care about what's happened to them up until the point that we've seen them. Um, so you know my, my hope is that is that dietitians continue to remain curious about this because if if our last national conference is anything to go by and look i wasn 't in attendance, but there seemed to be a real feeling that things are shifting and that the tide is turning, and that people are now talking much much more about um the way in which dietetic practice can be much more centered in compassionate care and human centered care and what that actually looks like when we're sitting with somebody else. So, um, yep, that's kind of a very, very roundabout segue (laughs) all all over
1: the countryside answer. No, it was a really good answer. And I think, um, you know, anyone who say dietetics or is studying dietetics will recognise the phrase patient-centred care. And I think sometimes that's not used as it probably should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it may be mis say, they may say they're doing patient-centred care, but I think it's just re-looking um, at what you consider patient-centred care to be mm-hmm. and if it is really patient-centred. um and really person-centered and realizing that that's a human on the other side of the bench and recognizing they've got a very complex and multifaceted life and you know you can't just tell them what to do um people don't like that no and no one's (laughs) going to do what you tell them to do anyway you know it's not um and it's recognizing that you can't just shoot advice at people and give them a piece of paper and say here you go off you go you'll be right um Yeah, it's a lot deeper than that and just recognising everyone's human and having that time for people as well. Absolutely. Or the the top three, well, actually, the one thing that I have really, really drilled
0: into the students that I've been teaching recently at Deakin is um, giving advice is fine in some circumstances or, or, you know, what we would call, quote, unquote, nutrition, education. Um, That is fine. However, first of all, First of all, we must find out what somebody knows already f- and find out about their experiences around food, eating, and their body. So you need to do that work first mm. before launching into anything. Definitely. And then second of all, we need to ask permission yeah. to, share, to share our ideas. And it's not even to share what we know Mm. it's to share our ideas you know and then if given permission we might like to share you know whether it's recipes or whether it's our our ideas around eating regularly or ideas about blood glucose monitoring or yada 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 you know whatever it is so i think it's um you know that this the dietetic practice is it's very much about you know um about person-centred
1: care, but it is about the person, not about you. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. Um, And I think that's something I used a lot in my clinical placement. Um, I tried to use, obviously, still learning. Everyone is always going to make mistakes and come out of things and go, what was that? That was ridiculous. But asking for permission, something that actually one of my supervisors um, had said to me, and I used that throughout my clinical placement. And you will be surprised. If you don't do it already, you should just give it a go and try asking for permission because it is something that is received really well. And you'll get a really great idea of what that person needs and wants as well, because they're going, they're most likely going to say, yes, they want to hear your opinion that you're sitting in a room with them and they've come to you. They want to know what you think, but, It's important to ask for permission. I think that's it's an amazing thing. That's definitely changed the way I work with people a lot. I never used to do that. I used to just, you know, go in there and be like, I know what I'm going to tell them. They've got this disease. (laughs) I need to eat that. That's what has to happen. But it's just, yeah, it's bringing more human into it and less lecturer attendee. Oh my God. (laughs) So, So, what did you notice? Like, when you actually asked
0: permission, what did you notice about the way somebody
1: responded to that? They're actually interested when you ask permission. So when you say, oh, do you mind if I tell you a little bit more about um, what I think and the research behind, let's just say, um, eating during your chemotherapy. Right. Um, I would always ask, oh, would you, would you mind if I tell you a little bit? And usually their reaction was, yeah, that's what they're here for, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but they're a lot more engaged and they actually feel respected, I think. It's a respect thing. They don't feel like they're being told off like a little child. Mm. I think dieticians, unfortunately, not any that I know, because I know fabulous dietitians, but can get that food police and that authoritative kind of vibe about them. And I think that asking permission really kind of takes that off a little bit, which is nice. Yeah, definitely kind yeah. of cuts through and, mm. and
0: makes it, I think, well, you're doing a community service task because you're, you're, you know, dispelling the myth mm. of the food police. Mm. You know, by asking permission, you're not only showing respect, um, but um, you're also contributing to the community (laughs) (laughs) when people feel respected and validated they're going to share more with you not that that's necessarily the end goal but that the level of engagement that you're able to um, reach will enable
1: both of you you and the other person to be able to do both of your jobs better definitely it empowers the person a lot more i think as well rather than giving information, you're offering the information, I guess. Yes. It's, and it's better. It works a lot better, I find, <laughs> in most situations. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh, those questions were very, very thoughtful. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. That you're was welcome. wonderful. you um definitely got a, um, a future
1: in... I hope so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've got a future. Thank Let's God. just stop there. <laughs> I was going to say future in interviewing or podcasting. Um, but,
1: um, well, you've got a future as a human, which is great. (laughs) Very promising. (laughs) That is a promising journey. (laughs) (laughs) The learning journey.
0: Okay. Okay. I'm not going to say that again. tortured you all enough um Darcy thank you so much you have been such a wonderful person to hang around with all week Um, you're a wonderful student you will be a wonderful dietitian in exactly 10 days or so um and I wish you all the best and everybody listening if you're a student dietitian um you might want to take a listen to Darcy and my other episode which is all about stages of change and and coming at health at every size um you know just understanding it through a stages of change lens. So thank you so much um, for all being here to listen to our chit-chat. And it's been very interesting, actually, to be on the other side of the couch. (laughs) I have enjoyed it. And um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone. Mm